faithful and loyal readers and listeners. <coughs> Welcome to our daily devotional for June the 25th. So if you will recall, our daily devotionals are divided into two distinct segments. We have our through the Bible in Focus for June the 25th, or day 174, is going to be on John chapter 19, verse 16, B, going through verse 27. So we have now come to the fourth and final scene in John's passion narrative of Jesus. That is probably the most important scene in
could be <coughs> no resurrection without the resurrection we have no hope so without the resurrection we have no hope and without Jesus bread on agonizing death too there will be no salvation available for our sins so we're going to split this last and most important scene into three parts you have the crucifixion of Jesus the death of Jesus and the burial of Jesus and today we're going to cover the crucifixion of Jesus so starting in verse 16 B going through verse 22 this is what this says what it says so the soldiers took charge of Jesus carrying his own cross he went out to the place of the skull which in Aramaic is called Golgotha there they crucified him and with him two others one on each side and Jesus in the middle Pilate had a note and prepared had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross it read Jesus of Nazareth the king of the Jews many of the Jews read this sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and the sign was written in Aramaic Latin and Greek the chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate do not write the king of the Jews but this but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews Pilate answered what I have written I have written so Jesus began the journey to Golgotha carrying his own cross beam so what you need to understand that the vertical remain at the crucifixion site so what, so what Jesus was needed to carry was the horizontal part of the cross so bear in mind he's being forced to carry this after he has been beaten so severely that he would no longer be recognized by anyone who knew him he had been beaten to probably within an inch of his life to use a prominent phrase beaten to within an inch of his life he had a crown of thorns placed on his head he'd have his own clothing put back over top of his bloodied and battered shoulders and back and now he's being forced to carry this heavy wooden cross beam across this badly beaten back that has literally had the bones of his spinal cord exposed that's been taken and the flesh has been just completely ripped off and if you want more information on that I would suggest that you look at my post entitled Easter message because that's got a lot of details about 
Edition of this, but we know that at some point along the way, a man by the name of Simon of Cyrene was forced to carry the crossbeam, the remainder of the distance to God, the Calvary, the place of the skull, the place where Jesus and the rest of the condemned criminals that were with him were to be executed at. So John does refer to the location of Jesus' crucifixion by both its Greek name, which is the it's translated, I see, but not an actual English place of the skull, because that would have been the name in Greek. So the Aramaic name, which was Golgotha. So what we know is that Golgotha, or Calvary, which would be its Latin name, was located outside the city walls, because that's where executions would have taken place. Executions would not have taken place inside the city walls of Jerusalem, though they have taken place within inside the city walls of any Roman town. Crucifixions would have taken place along the roads or someplace that would have been prominent so that everybody could see what was happening. So we see here that the actual crucifixion is narrated with why does John not give us all these bloody gruesome details that we know were involved in the Roman crucifixion? So this brevity is similar throughout the other three Gospels. Why? Why is it would be due to the fact that the brutality of crucifixion was well known? Jesus' cross and uh, 
ridiculous good language of the average ordinary Jewish person, person of that day. It was written in Lower Latin, which was the whole language of the Roman government. And it was written in Greek, which was the language spoken by people throughout the Roman Empire, particularly the eastern half of the Roman Empire, which is where all of these events took place. And so infuriating them was the fact this sign says he was the king of the Jews, right? But they wanted him to say what did he claim to be the king of the Jews. Right, so when they gave him the crime, the crime was stated king of the Jews, so that was the crime he was accused of. That was the crime that Pilate was having him executed for, was claimed to be the king of the Jews. So Pilate meant this as a taunt to Jesus and to the Jews, but what he, what was, he thought was going to be a taunt to them, kind of taunting them, oh look, 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 we just crucified your king. No, 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 you didn't crucify anybody, right? You did not crucify anybody. It was our king, you not killed off our king. What was meant to be a taunt was in reality true, because you're saying Jesus was the king of the Jews. Jesus is the king of the Jews. You see, even in this dark moment he was declared to be king. And you also see that the Jewish people, the Jewish religious leaders to be more specific and demanded that the placard be written. But they also say that Pilate refused to change what he Without a garment, right? but they cast lots or they gambled, they rolled 
sometimes the details here were corny. The inner garment. So what's so important about that? The important part here that the fact that it was seamless made it more valuable than Judas's other possessions. So if the soldiers had divided it, it would have been ruined. So unwittingly, <coughs> the soldiers' very actions fulfilled Psalm chapter 22, verse 18, which describes the king's enemies gambling for his garments. So this fulfillment reinforces the reality of God's control over the events down to the seemingly most insignificant details. So now we're going to pick up and finish this section by reading the last three verses, which are verses 25, 26, and 27, which says, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. So we see here that as the Roman soldiers who were powering the crucifixion site, they sure everything ran smoothly. Everything was operating efficiently, right? As these soldiers were there, they gambled for the mere possessions of a dire, of a dying man. So as this was happening, Jesus demonstrating his selfless concern for his mother, who was now not going to really have anyone to provide for her in the way that Jesus more than likely provided for her. So we see here that there can be no more stark contrast in attitude between the world's kingdoms and Christ kingdom. Jesus had just turned his attention to his mother as death approached. It was the only John included this emotional exchange that demonstrates Jesus' selflessness. So why does John include why isn't it included in Matthew or in Mark or in Luke? Well that's because there their sources for that so the source for Matthew is probably Matthew, a little bit of help from Peter. And the source for, for Mark was probably Peter, a little bit of help from other disciples. And the source for Luke was again, probably 
when it actually happened. He wasn't like the rest of them who were off hiding. John was standing there watching what it happens, and it's John that Jesus speaks to. So John is able to record his last utterances, which is, Woman, here's your son, and to John, here is your mother. And so what we see here is that even during the agony of a horribly cruel death, Jesus is concerned about the welfare of his mother. He appoints the disciple whom he loved, which is how John refers to himself throughout his gospel, right, to take care of Mary, his mother. So what we need to understand is that caring for and assisting helpless and needy family members is a responsibility we have until death. And it was a responsibility that Jesus didn't take lightly, even even when he was about ready to die. So the focus here is on the responsibility of children for their dependent parents. So Jesus is about ready to die, and rather than focusing on himself, focusing on what he needs. He is focusing on what his mother needs to survive because she was dependent on him for her survival. And so we're going to pick up from here tomorrow as we discuss the death of Jesus. So in order for you to be prepared for that discussion, here's what you need to read. You need to read 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 14 through chapter 10, verse 31. You need to read Acts 17. You need to read Psalm 144, 1 through 15, and Proverbs 17, 27 I live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God. 
me and gave himself for me. So Paul here is describing his relationship to Christ in terms of a deeply personal attachment to and reliance on his Lord. So those of us who have true faith in Christ should consider ourselves to be united with him in such a way that we relate to and identify with Jesus in both his death and his resurrection. So there are three, three big takeaways that come from this one simple short verse <coughs> found in opening chapters of Paul's letter to the church at Galatia. So the first <coughs> big takeaway we get is that in a sense all of us have put off all of us who have put our faith and trust in Christ have been crucified with Christ on the cross. So what are we talking about there? What exactly does that mean? That means our old, sinful, rebellious way of life has been put to death with Jesus. As he took our sin on himself and paid its full penalty through his own death. So in addition to that, in addition to that, those of us who have put our faith and trust in Christ, who've been freed from the law's requirement of having to rely on imperfect sacrifices as a way to receive forgiveness and maintain a relationship with God. So we should understand that Christ's perfect and sinless life provided the complete sacrifice for sins once and for all. So when we say sins, we're not just talking about the sins we have committed today, but we're talking about the sins we committed in the past, and we're talking about the sins that we will commit in the future, because we will commit sins in the future, because we're not perfect. We won't ever be perfect in this Those of us who accept the forgiveness provided by Jesus' sacrifice receive a new life by faith in Christ, which allows us to fulfill God's highest purpose for our lives. Because of spiritual salvation and a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, sin no longer has control over our lives. So that's the first big takeaway that we get out of this short little verse in Paul's letter to the Church of Galatia. The second big takeaway we get out of this short little verse in Paul's letter to the Church of Galatia is that we who have been crucified with Christ now live with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. 
within us through the guiding presence of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus in essence has become the source and the focus of our lives. He is the center of all our thoughts, words, and actions. And our primary aim is to fulfill his purposes and honor him in all that we do. So that's the second big takeaway. The third big takeaway that we get out of this is that our opportunity to relate to and share in Christ's death and resurrection is a gracious gift <coughs> of God. It's a gracious gift of God. And it becomes activated through faith in Christ. So the faith that we're talking about here is not just an intellectual belief, but an active trust that surrounds the leadership of one's uh, excuse me, surrenders the leadership runs a life to the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us as we're gonna see when we get into uh, through the Bible in one year single. We're gonna see exactly what we are talking about when we say that he loved us and that he gave himself for us, willingly gave himself for us. So living by faith in Christ and the guidance of the Holy Spirit is also referred to as living by the Spirit. And so when we get into the book of Galatians, when we come to that point in time in our through the Bible in one year, second, we're going to talk all about that, right? Because in Galatians that we see Paul talk about the fruit of the Spirit, those things that demonstrate that we are actually living and walking in the power of the Spirit. So hold on to that thought for right now, because we're going to come This is day 175, day 175 of this particular segment. Again, if you have missed this segment or any of our other segments, you can get 
So we have now come to part two of this fourth and final scene in John's passion narrative of Jesus. So in this part of the fourth and final scene of John's passion narrative of Jesus, <coughs> we see the death of Jesus. But more importantly, we see that Jesus' death fulfilled all the prophecies that were made in the Old Testament. And even more important than that, we see that Jesus' death happened because he chose to allow it to happen. So we're going to start in verse 28, and we're going to go through verse 30 to begin with, which says, Later knowing that everything had now been finished, so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the, of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So what we're seeing is that Jesus died with the same composure that characterized his entire earthly ministry. He remained in complete control of the events. His cry, I am thirsty, is unique to John's Gospel. Because you see, Jesus, aware that death was near, asked for a drink. And why did he ask for a drink? Because it fulfilled the Scriptures to see that you need to look at Psalm 22, verse 15, and Psalm 69, verse 21. So, what's so important about this hyssop branch that John mentioned? So, that reminds us of the Passover, which will be found in Exodus chapter 12, verses 22 through 25. And with an explanation of what this all means to us now as Christians over in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 18 through 20. So if you really want to see how this passion narrative fulfills the Exodus story and what it all means to us, so I, I'm going to ask you to go back and read the Easter message that I posted on Easter Sunday and or listen to the Easter message podcast that I included with that post because the post for this for, for the Easter message is simply notes. So this will give you a good idea of what I'm talking about what's going on here and when we look at Exodus 12, 20, 20, 22 through 25 in Hebrews 9, 18 through 20. So when we get to Hebrews, we're going to talk quite a lot about that. Because the book of Hebrews does a really, really good job of explaining the significance of what is happening here in this second part of the fourth scene of John's passion narrative of Jesus. So, when we talk about the past 
Pass on first pass on ancient right. The Jews used the hyssop branch to brush the Passover lamb's blood on their doorpost and used it to put it on the signs and on the lintel, right? So you got the lintel and you got the signs. So you got essentially a cross formed within that doorway that tells the angel of death do not enter this house because the death has already happened. The blood that that was required, the fact that the firstborn male had to die, right, unless another substitutionary death had already taken place within that household. And so by putting the lamb's blood on the door, it essentially dripping down, right, would have formed a cross, so the cross saved the people of Israel at the first Passover, just as the cross now was going to offer the people of Israel the chance to be saved again. here is that Jesus is God's Passover lamb. So we see that in John chapter 1 verse 29 and in verse 36 in his blood likewise saves just as the blood of the original Passover lamb saved the people of Israel from death and destruction. So we see that God provided a new and by the death of his son. And so after taking a drink, Jesus cried out in victory and exhaustion with the phrase, it is finished. He had accomplished the work the Father had sent him to do. And the way that John describes his death shows again that though he hung on the cross, Jesus was in control of what was taking place. And you see, the fact that he bowed his head as he died demonstrates submission to the Father. And you see, Jesus was not fighting to stay alive. The mention that he gave up his spirit indicates that he died at the moment of his choosing and not the Everything had been 
and now they're finished. So that scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it. Put the sponge on a stalk of his plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. <coughs> when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So these verses here describe the events immediately following Jesus' death. You see, this scene again is unique only to John's Gospel. Because you see, Jews, Jewish people did not want bodies hanging on his, hanging on the cross, right? So they didn't want bodies languishing on the cross on the Sabbath in the festival. So what the Jewish leaders requested was that the legs of crucified people be broken so they would die quickly. Right? So the soldiers began with the criminals hanging on each side to Jesus. <coughs> so when they kicked Jesus, right, they discovered he was already discovered he was already dead, and so they didn't break his legs. And as they finally had to protect him, they plunged a sword or spear into his side, and outflowed blood and water. So, I think we need to go back and read a little bit more, because I think we're missing something from there, right? So let's go back, shall we? Yes, let's. So, uh, pick up in verse 31, and... So, we're gonna go John chapter 31, or John chapter, excuse me, John chapter 19, verse 31, ah, okay, so, so, I knew there was some, so, now is day of preparation. So, I missed another section there, right? So, uh, I put in the wrong section. That was the part that should have already been, that we already talked about, right? So now, this is what actually verse 31 through 37 says. So now we're gonna understand a little bit better what I was trying to tell you. Small mistake in my notes, so here's what that section says. Now, was the day of preparation. The next day was to be a special Sabbath, because the Jewish leaders did not want bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath. They asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers, therefore, came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happened 
which will be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. They will look on the one they have pierced. So now I want you to have a little better understanding of what we're talking about here, right? So the verses that we just read, which are the actual verses 31 to 37, not what I had previously read, which was just a repeating of verses 28 through 30. Sorry about that. Again, there was a typo in my notes, and if you're reading this post on HopeStateChristian.com, that's also a typo there that I just now realized was there. So again, what we saw in these verses are described the events immediately following Jesus' death. And again, this is a unique scene to John's Gospel. It doesn't occur anywhere else. So what is going on here, right? So what we see is that the Jewish, the Jews, in particular the Jewish leadership, did not want these bodies of these crucified men to be languishing and agonizing and suffering on these crosses on a Sabbath day during an important religious festival. So they went to Pilate and they asked for Pilate to break the legs of those that had been crucified so that they would die quickly. So why does it matter if their legs are broken? And, and why is that going to make them die quickly? So you got to remember, when the person is crucified, right, their arms are attached to the cross beams, and their legs are attached to the vertical post that's been left in the ground. So they're kind of in this slumped down position, right? So they're chest and their diaphragm and everything had been all stretched out. And so in order for them to actually breathe normally, they have to push themselves up with their legs and they go so they can breathe like that by pushing themselves up with their feet. So when they broke their legs, they were speeding the process of asphyxiation which was how a crucified person died. Right, so we see that the soldiers who had been tasked again with policing the crucifixion site was making sure everything about the crucifixion went smoothly. That this execution took place flawlessly. That there was nothing that could be said, aha, this went wrong at this crucifixion. So they began with the criminal hanging on each side of Jesus. So they went to the first criminal, broke his leg so he died quickly. They went to the criminal, so they went to the one hanging on Jesus' left, broke his leg. They went to the one hanging on Jesus' right, broke his legs. So finally they come to Jesus. And to their surprise, right, they see that Jesus has already died. So they didn't 
legs because he appeared to already be dead. And so as a final act of brutality, brutality could have been brutality. Quite possibly it was to find out if this man was already dead. They take a spear, right? Or sword. Could either be one of them. And they jabbed it into his side. They plunged it up into his side. And the scriptures say that when they plunged it into his side, out flowed blood and water. And so this is what confirmed the reality of Jesus' death. So let's talk a little bit about those of you that think, well, Jesus didn't actually die on the cross. It was somebody else in Jesus' place. Or Jesus was still alive when they took him down off the cross. That's how he was able to come up out of the tomb. So John's account puts paid to that notion. Because you see, when they pierced aside, they pierced the pericardial sac that surrounds the heart. And even if they had pierced the heart when they did this, which more than likely they did, it doesn't say that it bloody water gushed out of there, right? It said it flowed out of there. It just flowed out like when they jobbed that spear up into his side, right? What happened was they pierced the pericardial sac. So the pericardial sac is under pressure and all of that blood and that water. Because you see that water they're talking about is the pericardial fluid that surrounds the heart within the pericardial sac and is designed to protect the heart. So as all of this comes out, so as they put a hole in this pericardial sac with their spear by jobbing it into a side, all of a sudden this stuff has a place to go, so it flows out. If the heart had still been beating when this had happened, and Jesus had not already been dead when they pierced the pericardial sac and they pierced his heart with that spear, the blood and the water wouldn't have just gently flowed out. The blood and the water would have gushed out because the heart would have still been pumping because it doesn't know it's dead yet. It's not going to quit pumping until there ain't no more blood for it to pump until the brain quits sending signals to it to stop pumping and the brain ain't going to do that until it is dead. And so when they jobbed his spear up into him, his heart wasn't beating no more because the brain had already sent signals to the heart quit beating. So the fact that you see blood and water flowing out, either they even pierced the heart, which they may have done, or the heart had already exploded, so Jesus was already dead. Either way, Jesus was already dead when this happened. So John felt this incident to be so important and comments that it was and 
I thought this is incident was important. In comments, that it was well tested, right? So you see, Jesus' unbroken legs and his pierced side fulfilled the scriptures from Exodus twelve forty six and Zechariah twelve ten. Because you see, even in death, Jesus was fulfilling God's word, attesting again to God's providence over these events. In other words, God's control over these events. And so to finish all this up, we're going to talk about Jesus' final three words that he spoke while he was alive on this earth. And those three words are it is. They come from John chapter 19 verse 30. So this phrase is one word in Greek. Tetista. So it is not the cutest phrase in Greek. It's not a cry of termination. It's not a cry of ending. It's not a way of saying this is ended. It's ended badly. I'm ending this. But it was a shout of triumph in which Christ was declaring the completion of his work on the cross. The sins of the Lord have been fully laid upon his shoulder by this point in time. So when he said it is finished, he was saying victory has been achieved. The sins of the Lord have been placed upon the only perfect person to ever have walked the earth. This perfect person has taken the abuse and the scorn that should have been every person that had lived in the past. That should have been every person that was living then. And every person that is living now. Every person that lived in the past. Every person that lived in the present. And every person that lived in the is going to live in the future. Christ took their sins and he bore their shame. And when he did that, when it was all heaped on to his shoulders, it was now time for him to end this. It was now time for him to put paid what God had already said was going to happen all the way back in the book of Genesis. When Adam and Eve first sinned and mankind fell from God's grace at that point in time. Now we have the way to return back to God's grace. Jesus' triumphant declaration was a sig- was a signal that Jesus had accomplished the f- these following five things. So the first thing it signals it fulfilled his earthly mission given to him by his father. And you see that in John chapter 18, verse 37. Second thing it fulfilled, and that it fulfilled the Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah's suffering. So we see that in Genesis 3, 15. And in the entire chapter of Isaiah 53, the third thing that it did, that it accomplished when it completed the work of spiritual rescue, and restoration by providing the perfect sacrifice for sin. It is 
sin both past, there's a sin present, and there's a sin in the future. Let's see if it's read in John 1.29, and 1 Corinthians 5.7, Ephesians 1.7, and Hebrews 9.12. So the the decisive victory over Satan and his network of demons. So we see that in Colossians 2.15. And the fifth and final thing that it achieved, that it accomplished, excuse me, was it achieved the means of restoring God's relationship with his creation and sinful humanity. So we see that in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 18 through 19, in Colossians 1, chapters, uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 20 through 22. So what we should understand is that this says that nothing can or needs to be added to Christ's finished work on the cross. What we should understand also is that the results are ongoing because he, because Jesus endured the punishment for our offenses against God. He opened the way for people to have a relationship with Him. He opened the way for us to have a relationship with God and all who accept Christ's sacrifice for themselves and yield their lives to Him receive God's gift of forgiveness and eternal life. So what we're getting to finish this up. Here's how we're gonna finish this up. Listen and pay attention to this because it's gonna be really, really important. So considering all of God's wonderful and creative acts, it may seem somewhat ironic that his highest purpose, which is to bring eternal life, came through death. Because you see, the creator, which is how Jesus is described in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, was crucified for his creation. He died for his creation. And through his death, his creation has the opportunity to be saved. So through through this horrific event that we haven't gone into great detail about, but it was horrific, it was bloody, it was brutal to watch, it was brutal to have to behold. And when you read about it, and when you talk about it, it, it should make you sick to your stomach. The, the perfect son of God all of this for you and for me. So you see, through this horrific, horrific event that we have just been discussing, right, Jesus accomplished his mission. As you see, the God-man had paid the perfect price for sin and had bridged the gap between a holy God the sinful people. And through faith in Jesus Christ, 
we will have full access to God, but only if we surrender our lives to the one who went to this extreme for us. Right? So it's only if we do this, right, that we can experience the life that he intends for us. And we will pick up from here tomorrow as we conclude the fourth scene of John's passion narrative of Christ when we talk about his burial in a tomb that was not his own. And we're gonna finish up this overall section tomorrow, right? By talking a little bit about his burial. Yes, about Jesus' burial. But we're gonna go back and we're gonna look at the prophecy of Isaiah. I mean, we just talked about him. It was in Isaiah 53, right? Where is the prophecy of the suffering servant? Which, oh, by the way, that was what Jesus was. Jesus was a suffering servant. So in order for you to be prepared to have this discussion, we need to read Second Kings chapter 10. Excuse me, we need to read Second Kings chapter 10 verse 32 through chapter 12 verse 21. Acts chapter 18 verses 1 through 22. Psalm 145, 1 through 21. And Proverbs 18, 